And it's so important for us to understand our own intuition as parents and to be able to listen to our gut about all the things, not just nutrition, but what you know is right for your family and your baby. Whether breastfeeding, using a bottle, adding in purees, or following child-led weaning tactics, feeding is a polarizing topic for many parents. But no matter what you choose, there are some overarching concepts that all parents can benefit from understanding. Things like trying not to infuse our own anxiety and pressure into mealtimes, avoiding labeling any food as either good or bad, and learning to listen to our child's cues. Joining me on this episode of Securely Attached is registered dietitian, nutritionist, and the CEO of Square Baby, Katie Thompson. We'll talk about ways you can focus on the parent-child relationship as you nourish your child and promote a healthy, balanced, and adventurous relationship to food. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to introduce you guys all to Katie Thompson. She's joining us today. She's the founder and CEO of Square Baby, and she's a registered dietitian. And we're just really excited to have you on the podcast today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So tell me a little bit, um, maybe you could share with us a little bit of like how you got into just this journey and how you ended up, you know, creating this entire company around feeding, feeding children. Yeah, you got it. So, um, registered dietitian by trade, got my master's in nutrition. And then actually, um, though I thought I would be much more of a clinical dietitian, I ended up getting a job at Starbucks, um, and took this three week contractor role and, and ended up creating the first nutritionist role there and helped to create um, new products and really transform the menu over the course of six years or so. And in 2008, had my first baby. Um, and that's when my focus really shifted towards the baby food aisle and how products were marketed and what options there were for me as a very, I mean, every mom's busy, whether you're working outside of the home or, or um, staying at home with your babe, you're overwhelmed, you're looking for solutions and options. And what I found in the aisle were just a sea of one-off products, a lot of fruit heavy, unbalanced meals that I felt weren't really leaving me understanding, you know, how do I know that I've given my baby the right amount of the right foods each day? How do I know that I've given enough veggies and protein and healthy fats? And what really is in this jar or this pouch is this just a bunch of marketing BS. And what I found was, a you know, a whole lot of applesauce, a lot of, you know, shelf stable foods, obviously. And I just didn't leave you know, kind of feeling like I could give him the nutrition that I wanted, um, that I would really have to sacrifice, you know, convenience for quality and nutrition. So I left Starbucks to figure out how to create a solution for parents, um, did a bunch of research on what infants need at each stage of development and created the square meal system, which, um, provides a hundred percent of babies daily recommended veggies, fruits, grains, and protein in two to three meals, um, per day, depending on their age and stage. 
Um, but it really takes that guesswork out of it for parents, really removes that anxiety of, oh my goodness, am I giving him what he needs for proper development and for palate training and to make sure that he grows up to be a healthy eater. Um, I, we started the company in 2018. So my son just turned 13. So as you can imagine, it was a very long time of joining <laughs> up the company and creating recipes and business plan and, um, fundraising and all the things. But we launched in 2018. We're a direct-to-consumer company, which means um, our meals are delivered right to your doorstep. The meals are made fresh um, with whole foods and um, you know very balanced nutrition. But we're really excited about our national launch coming up. So in, a, in just a, a handful of um, months here, we will be expanding nationally across the U.S., that's so cool. Well, congratulations. That's a big journey. And as a mom, you know, I always appreciate like, you know, female entrepreneurs trying to do this all while they've got kids. And I I have empathy for the, the amount of probably late nights after bedtime that That's went into right. that. It's, it's a lot of nights and weekends. Yes. I know. Yes. And I, but it's funny because as you're talking about this, I'm thinking like, okay, this was born out of what sounds like anxiety, yours and your perception that other moms have it too. And some of it's like, baseline, we are going to be anxious about what we feed our kid because we care as much as we do. Mm-hmm. And then there's like other anxiety that I think we get fed and we mm-hmm. we swallow and absorb and embody that mm-hmm. I don't, do we need it? Like, where is it coming from? Like, what's your take on how much anxiety you saw as a nutritionist and a mom? That's so interesting. So I think um, you bring up so many good points about there is the pressure we put on ourselves, right? And infant mm-hmm. nutrition. I mean, that is, it's not just like you're picking the right stroller or, you know, which right. diapers did you choose? Even those are, that's are really important decisions, mm-hmm. but this is, you know, their first bites and how you're training their palate and how you're introducing food to them, um, beyond just even the critical nutri- nutrients that they need at these stages, um, and for growth and development, but also what relationship with food am I helping my baby develop, right? Um, are they going to grow up to be an adventurous eater? Because really these early months are so critical at developing this relationship with food. Um, and so there's definitely some of that pressure you put on yourself. And even though I'm a dietitian, it's funny because every, you know, you're very often like at a cocktail party or something and, and people are looking exactly what you eat. They think that every single thing you eat is going to be, you know, you know, kale with a side of kale, right? right. <laughs> no, you know, there's balance to all, to all of us and there's balance to, you know, your, your child and your, your, your baby's diet as well. And, and even though, you know, we developed this hundred percent daily nutrition meal system to say, Hey, we got you, you know, we'll make sure that, you know, you're able to offer these balanced meals that, you know, provide the, all the food groups that your baby needs in a day. It's also so important for you to listen to your baby's cues so while we say, you know, for an eight to 12 months old, eight to 12 month old, any three meals is a hundred percent of the recommended nutrition. Hey, if your baby's, you know, super full after two meals a day, let's listen. Or if they can't finish the whole jar, you know, that's okay. Um, I think in general, there's so much placed upon us. And I think now, you know, the, the baby that inspired this company, Jackson, who's now just turned 13, social media was not a thing. I joined Facebook when he was born and I was like, I don't know what, you know, this whole Facebook thing is, but you know, I guess I'll join so I can share pictures with my parents who aren't on Facebook. But now I look at, right. There, there are opinions everywhere. And it's not just the mom that you meet at Starbucks for a cup of coffee or go for a walk with. It's, there are a lot of 
voices in our head each day, not just our own, but there are opinions, you know, presented to us all day long. And it's so important for us to understand our own intuition as parents um, and to be able to listen to our gut about all the things, not just nutrition, but what you know is right for your family and your baby. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I think anyone who's been listening to this podcast um, for a while has heard that, you know, over and over here because I think it doesn't, at the end of the day, like how you feed your baby, Mm -hmm. whether you breastfeed or formula feed, whether you do purees or baby led weaning, whether you're all organic or you are, you know, hitting fast food on the way home because that's just all you have the bandwidth to Mm -hmm. do and that is okay. Like how do we start to reclaim as parents this permission to tune out some of the noise and Mm -hmm. tune into our needs, our kids' needs, and use that parent-child relationship to guide a lot of this, to help set up healthy relationships with food from the beginning that's about balance and hungerfulness cues and mind-body connection. That's right. I think that we have to be so careful to not become this us versus them society. That's like, you have to do it this way. You have, you know, your baby led weaning or your purees, you, you know, you're on one side or the other, and you're preaching to other people about the way that you've done it and how it's worked for your family and how you think it's, you know, better than another way. Right. But instead really our whole lives are about balance. And if we're thinking about what's best for our child, we're actually teaching them, you know, really amazing lessons by showing them that your life doesn't have to be perfect. Like imagine how much anxiety you pass on to a child if they've grown up and they've never been presented, you know, sweets or fast food. You know, it's not like I'm rolling my kids mm-hmm. through McDonald's all the time, but like I'm also not going to be the dietitian mom who's like, I'm sorry, my son could never ever have that. And then they have then they're, you know, as an older kid, they're put in a social situation where now that's that's more a part of their you know, story than it, than it should be right. Or their guilt or whatnot, but really, you know, even square babies all about balance, about balanced meals, but a balanced life and understanding that, you know, we're here for you as a solution, but also understand that, you know, our meals and, and the choices that you make all fit into a healthy lifestyle. So give ourselves some grace, right? Oh, yes. Amen. <laughs> I I resonate with that because like I think, and this came up a lot for me, especially during COVID. So like before, and I, before COVID, I loved to cook. It was like something that brought me joy. I felt good about my cooking skills. I like looked forward to being like the mom that made dinner. Totally. And something just sort of snapped for me in COVID. And I was just like, I hate cooking. It was just... It was just, I was so burnt out. I was so mm-hmm. trying to do beyond more than I had the bandwidth to do. And that was one of the things that I was just like, if I have to cook one more meal, I swear to God. And so I just gave myself permission to stop doing it. But that meant, you know, I had to find, I went through iterations of figuring out how to be healthy with that process mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I cannot just order in from restaurants mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. I, we have to figure out ways to have balance in our meals where I'm not the one cooking anymore mm-hmm. um, or I'm cooking a lot less. Mm-hmm. And so I do think I've actually had podcast episodes in the past where I've been like, one of the things that you can do, like a huge hack mm-hmm. for finding more time in parenting is to outsource meals because right now and probably before COVID, but I think especially now, like parents are burnt 
out. Absolutely. On top of being anxious about mm-hmm. all the nutritional stuff mm-hmm. and all of the food relationship stuff, I actually do think anytime we can take something off our plate, mm-hmm. it's just, it's we need to give ourselves permission to undo some of the beliefs we have about what's like, you know, what's our job and what makes us good parents and what makes us bad parents or the fear of being bad parents. Cause I think there are a lot of myths there. That's right. Well, it's good. I mean, first of all, congratulations on realizing that yes, we as parents, it is okay that we do not want to cook every single gosh dang meal when we all hadn't <laughs> left the house and we're all getting bored with ourselves, bored with our recipes and all the things. So we do have to give ourselves these moments of, you know, whether it's ordering out every once in a while, or it's, you know, finding those items in the Trader Joe's frozen section, we're like, you know what, we're going to have the frozen gnocchi, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to add some spinach on the side or whatever you, you find your little shortcuts as parents and that's completely, um, okay. And from a, you know, as, as, as we talk about, you know, our service, obviously, um, you know, being a, a like homemade meal, delivered to your doorstep. We have so many parents that are like either, Oh my God, with my first baby, I made all of their, all of their own food. Cause I didn't want to go to the grocery store and I didn't want, you know, to buy the shelf stable, you know, pouches or jars or whatnot. And so now you're our solution. Or there's those that are like, we use you for most of it, but you know, we totally have the pouch on the go. And, and while, you know, as a, as a dietitian and someone, you know, very kind of focused on research and, you know, what kind of sound science. I know that pouches aren't great for the mainstay of your diet. You don't want your baby to be just sucking out a pouch and missing, you know, the motor development skills needed when you, you know, learn to eat from a spoon and learn to, um, you know, pick up food with your fingers and explore food, you know, that's in your bowl. There's a lot of reasons why pouches and baby food is, is not a great thing for an infant's development. However, are there moments in your life when you're in an airport on a where in a park or whatnot, or your baby's screaming and you're like, Oh my gosh, here, <laughs> you know, that's okay. Absolutely. Right. Just because you give your baby a pouch does not make you a bad mom. And maybe it's not organic. It doesn't make you a bad mom. Right. It's about the, the balance of what we, we give them, you know, on daily on a weekly basis. Yeah. It's and insane. I think it's about being intentional, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and, I love what you said about giving ourselves some grace. And I think with grace, there opens up space for intentionality. Mm-hmm. Like I can make choices. I can I can actively choose mm-hmm. to put that pouch in the diaper bag mm-hmm. because it's there for a good reason. And I'm gonna know that I, I know that I'm gonna need it sometimes. Yes. And also I can at the same time, be intentional about how I plan out my meals for the week. And when I do go to Trader Joe's to say, okay, what could go with this that would make it more balanced? Mm -hmm. Because I do want that shortcut and I want that whole balanced nutrition. Mm -hmm. And also to say, you know what, towards the end of the week, I lose steam. And so Mm -hmm. those are the days that I need more help. And Mm -hmm. maybe whatever it is, it's like, if we're filled with guilt, if we're Mm -hmm. filled with anxiety, it clouds our mind. It really takes up all the space. And so it's really hard to say, I'm going to make choices and create balance. That's right. Well, in our babies, whether it's a baby or children, and and certainly now seeing my kids who are nine and 13, they, they see your cute, like how you're feeling your energy. You know, again, if it's a baby and you're giving them their very first bites and you're super stressed out and, and, you know, and, and the environment isn't, 
chill and welcoming to this new experience, your baby might, you know, feel that fear and anxiety and that pressure that you're putting on yourself and not be interested, right? It might, it might, their journey might be a little bit more different or they, you know, might take those cues and, and also maybe feel, you know, some stress or whatnot, right? So, I think it's so important to balance the, you know, what we hope to do from a nutrition standpoint, from the mom we want to be, from, you know, all, all the th- things that we hope to do, but also to, to allow ourselves some, some gray areas so that if we don't nail it every single time or our baby decides mm-hmm. to completely refuse food one day or, you know, my kids decided for a whole year, both of them, it's like they had some pack they, that they hated blueberries and it could have been way worse, right? They've gone through other phases, but I mean, it took me a year to get them, you know, back in, into that, but they can be very, very, you know, strong in, in, in their feelings of what they'll, they'll eat and not eat. Um, but I think that knowing that these moments are going to happen, that, you know, sometimes, um, your children might, you know, not, not be, in the mood or, or, you know, because it's Tuesday, they've decided they don't like peas or whatever, right? (laughs) Like it's just, it's going to happen. And instead of forcing something on a child so much so that you're just about in tears, they're in tears and the whole meal feels like it's a failure. You know, you have to pick those boundaries of, you know, when do I fall on my sword enough that they don't win every negotiation and they've just realized that they can, you know, deny everything and win, but also have, have your moments of realizing that not every meal is going to be perfect. And that's okay too, because, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, food should be, it should be enjoyable. You know, it should be fun. They should learn these, um, they should learn lessons about, you know, as they grow up, how to try new foods and new flavors and textures and, um, you know, be adventurous. But if, if food is too prescriptive and rule-based and, you know, shaming and, you know, to the child and to yourself, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard shift to turn around. Right. And not, and not fun yeah. for anyone. Yeah. I often re- recommend to parents to think, and I'm curious what you think of this yeah. because you're actually the nutritionist and not me, but I often tell parents to think about like, you know, from when they're introducing solids in whatever form it is until maybe year one, mm-hmm. that think about it as a giant science experiment and less about a meal, mm-hmm. you know, like your child throughout that first year of life, the vast majority of their nutritional intake is coming from milk or formula. Mm-hmm. And the food is like the sprinkles on top of the Sunday for them. Like mm-hmm. it's more about learning about texture, tastes, yeah. smells, gravity, yeah. <laughs> relationships. For sure. For sure. I think, um, I think there's a, there, there's this kind of flavor training window. That's really, really important. Um, where you're saying it's like less about how much nutrition they get from food versus, you know, what they're learning during that period of time. Uh-huh. Research shows that, um, like four to seven months is a really, is when babies are most susceptible to taking in new flavors. So what used to be this whole, you know, introduce one food at a time, three to five days apart you do not need uh-huh. to do that, right? There is no reason why you can't combine, you know, carrots with sweet potatoes with butternut squash and and start to introduce new combinations of flavors. I do love the idea that, you know, certain foods live on their own, right? So a, a kid really gets to taste what a beet tastes like and what a peas and what broccoli tastes like. But 
creating such a rigid roadmap around, you know, waiting a certain amount of days. Now, certainly, you know, with, with, with certain allergens, you'll want to do them one at a time, right? So if there is a reaction, you know what it, you know what it is. But other than that, um, what you really are concentrating on is this flavor training window. So if you think about, you've got, you know, a few months, it's not as though once that window is closed, first of all, it's like, okay, you know, (laughs) this is going to be hard. Um, but certainly thinking about like, how do you maximize? Cause most babies aren't starting at four months, right? So how do you maximize six to seven months, six to eight months of, of what you're offering them? If you were to do, you know, one new food every three to five days, that's not very many new foods in a month, right? Versus I want them to learn, you know, to have herbs and spices and healthy fats and different proteins and different grains and savory and sweet. And, you know, there's a lot that you can be offering them that, you know, whether it's pureed and chunking, whether, you know, um, you know, there's kind of whole, um, mash soft foods that they might be ready for, truly, you know, the most important thing that you can do for your child is introduce a variety, you know, often, right. And to not give up knowing that, you know, um, it could take the 12 tries, right. My, my first baby opened his mouth like a little bird for every single bite that I fed him. And I was like, this is amazing. Right. He was the, the, the hardest to breastfeed. And I'm, you know, that, that was a whole, that's a whole other podcast. I have so much respect and empathy because it can be such a painful, challenging, crazy journey, um, to do Mm -hmm. that. But I feel like he was, he was really hard there and then he was very, very easy with food. Whereas my second child, I was so excited because it was actually when I had started developing the square baby meals. So he was eating our first recipes and that boy turned his head for every bite for like two weeks. And I was, I was working full time, another job. So I'd come home exhausted, you know, having pumped all day at the, the workplace and, you know, you're, you're so tired and you put him in the bumbo and you're so excited for the like best moment of your whole day is feeding him this little bite. And he's like, Nope, no, I just remember being in tears. Right. But understanding that keep going, keep trying, right. Try again tomorrow. And just because they didn't like, you know, the sweet potato the first day does not mean, you know, on your fifth or sixth or 10th try, it you know, doesn't end up being their favorite food. Right. So that was, that's been a huge learning for me. And that's so resilience building for parents, mm-hmm. right? Like we always talk about like, how do we build up resilient kids who like keep trying and have perseverance mm-hmm. and like keep going when things get tough. And it's like, well, start with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, when your child isn't, isn't receiving what you have to offer food wise, don't write that off as I failed at this or mm-hmm. even the food failed at this mm-hmm. or my child failed at this, but thinking like it can take 10 to 12 exposures Mm -hmm. to a new flavor or texture or taste. And that's actually just their process. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if you can sit there and say, I can keep going and I can keep trying and not get caught in this, um, either feeling like I've failed and wanting to quit Mm -hmm. or getting real hard line about it, being Mm -hmm. like pushing, 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 Mm -hmm. no, just one more bite. Just try this. Let me get you an airplane. Mm -hmm. Let me do anything Mm -hmm. to get it in your mouth you know, I think those are like kind of the two extreme camps. Can Mm -hmm. we be somewhere in the middle space where we're like, we'll try again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're in charge of what you eat, right? I pick what, I pick what goes on the plate. You eat what you like Mm -hmm. and I'll keep putting it on the plate. Mm -hmm. And that kind of important thing. That's what you can see as, as kids get older. Um, and they start to have much more of a, 
opinion about what they're eating, right? As when you oh, go yeah. from baby to a two-year-old, right now you've got a little one negotiating with you and trying to figure, and they're, they're also, whether or not it's even about the food, they might just be trying to find their independence and their own power as a little human, right? And they're like, I'm mm-hmm. picking broccoli as my, you know, sword I'm going to fall on. on <laughs> see right. how far I can push my, my mom to see how I can win. But, um, what's so interesting is as you, as the kids get older and you start to experience so many other families and what their kids eat and, um, you know, how many parents will just say, well, oh, you're so lucky that your, your kid eats, you know, whatever. My kid will only eat plain pasta and I have to make him separate meals. And it's like, you don't, you know, like it's a lot Mm -hmm. harder shift to turn around when they're eight and nine and 10, because now they've maybe developed some of these things like my food can't touch and I don't like that. And I won't touch anything that's green and my baby doesn't like vegetables or whatever, but you know, a lot of, a lot of this is just that retrying just to, to, to say that it's still going to show up on your plate. Right. Um, and maybe you'll try something else like, Oh, if you don't like steamed asparagus, let's try it roasted or let's try it dipped in ranch or whatever. Like just uh-huh. trying to understand how to get them to, you know, introduce that new flavor and to also not have them create their own internal fears and rules because uh-huh. that really is so hard to, to have them turn around, right. Where they're then able to accept some of these new flavors. If for the last, you know, if you've got a 10 year old who for eight years hasn't been challenged to eat, you know, very many vegetables or, or very, you know, kind of diverse nutrition. Right. I think there's a lot there, right. That idea of if we are, if we constantly accommodate Mm -hmm. the, the rejection of a food, by no longer putting it on their plate. In a way, we're communicating to our child that we're actually not really confident that you can handle that Mm. food Mm -hmm. on your plate. Mm. And in reality, I think that's not the message we consciously would like to be communicating Mm -hmm. to our child. I don't think parents intentionally want to say that to their kid, but I think they don't realize that the action of saying, oh, well, that's a food that doesn't, we can't put that food on our kid's plate. He won't accept that. Mm -hmm. To being able to shift that to say, well, my job is to put it on his plate. His job is to say, I don't want to eat that. His job is to take it, you know, and move it around his plate and eat anything but that. I don't, that's, that's his, that's where my job ends and his job begins. And I have, he has permission to be in charge of what goes in his mouth. And, but just that, that shift in kind of what you're really communicating to your child is you can, I'm confident that you can tolerate Mm -hmm. the presence of this food. Mm -hmm. Um, while not getting into a power struggle of mm-hmm. I'm going to make you eat this right. because that is where you start to get into real big power struggles. But like I'll often say to my kids, like I'll put something on their plate and they say, I don't like that. And I'll say, okay, mm-hmm. then don't eat it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I don't yeah. get in. I just, I leave it at that. Yeah. I think there's something important too about not creating good foods, bad foods, like well, if you eat your vegetables, then you can have this. You're already putting them in in a category of like, we get it. These are disgusting. But if you do that, then you can do this, right? It's like, uh-huh. no, actually the roasted broccoli is like my favorite thing on the whole plate. And I can't wait for you to try it. You know, like not reward. I'm very conscious to not reward my kids with food either, right? I mean, there's certainly like, yeah. you know, we have treats in our house and and I think it's really important to raise kids to understand how to be around sometimes foods and know how they fit into your overall diet, right? Like, yep. you know, you want watching a football game, you want some, you know, potato chips or whatever. Cool. 
have a small handful of those and some other, you know, like we talk about balanced nutrition. Okay. Well, where, what veggies are you going to eat with that? What fruit? And, but understanding that instead of this whole good food, bad food, you know, we don't have anything like that in our house. I grew up in a household like that. Right. And then you get off to college, you're like, Oh my God, all I'm going to eat is cereal. (laughs) I think I had cereal (laughs) salad and ice cream for like my freshman year of college. I should not have said that, but um, that I grew up in a house where like, there just wasn't anything like that. And I, I remember actually I got to pick, this is so anecdotal and off topic, but my parents, my mom would make me pick between having a sugar cereal or a birthday cake. I mean, talk about putting a lot of weight on cereal and like what that yeah. meant to me as a young child. And I remember one time I was like, screw it. I want the sugar cereal. And I sat there in front of the TV and I had the whole box of like cookie crisp or something. And I mean, talk about putting, right. That's so much power and emphasis put on one food that I actually didn't learn, you know, until my twenties really how to manage my own relationship with food because I really wasn't taught that moderation and balance and in the Mm -hmm. overall diet, right. There was too much like rules around what we could and couldn't have. Right. And I think moderation and balance only is, is accessible if everything is on the table. That's right. Like we talk about this a lot in my work with emotions, right? A lot of times we have this belief there are good emotions and bad emotions Mm -hmm. and, you know, anger, sadness, fear, anxiety, those are the bad emotions and like happiness and, Mm -hmm. you know, confidence. Those are the good emotions. And when, and then parents can, partly because parents were trained to think that about their own emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when their kids have the quote unquote bad emotions, they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, I got to shut that down. I got to, you know, move them out of that into the the good emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of my work with parents is helping them realize like every single emotion is on the table. They're all safe. They're all healthy. They're all human. And being able to have balance around them and confidence around your skill set with all of them is so important. And I think food maps onto that metaphor. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. That's such a good point. I, my, my older kiddo, um, he, so I realized looking back on my life that I had anxiety as a kid. I just didn't know how to name it. We didn't talk about emotion very much growing up and it wasn't something. And, you know, I don't think people in general were talking about anxiety, you know, many a decades ago, um, seventies, <laughs> eighties. Um, but now, you know, as I, I grew to have it in my like late twenties, early thirties is maybe a lot of people kind of, you know, in that period of time have it, I recognized it in my son when he was five and he would feel very, very guilty. And it was not any guilt that we ever put on him. It's just sort of this innate thing in him that Mm -hmm. his first reaction to something might feel guilt. And then he gets anxious and we have taught him to name that feeling as having butterflies. And he's, you know, now a teenager in seventh grade and he'll still come in and say, well, I'm having some butterflies. And I'm like, all right, like, let's talk about this. And what's so beautiful is that I've got this son who has no shame in telling me he can name it. And then instead of being like, well, let's stop your anxiety. It's like, let's figure out like where that's coming from. Cause usually he doesn't know, right. He's having some kind of yeah. physical feeling. Um, but I think, you know, parents now, you know, this next generation is going to grow up with 
I think a lot more like self-aware parents that are talking about mm-hmm. feelings a lot. And I think it's yeah. a great thing that you said about like all those feelings are totally on the table. It's about understanding why we're having them and, you know, and, um, and maybe it's totally, you know, there's no problem that you're having it. Right. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, like that something that you're dealing with right now and good for you for recognizing it. And most of the time them just set, saying something right is enough to be like, okay, we're good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And I think that that's so validating. And another thing it makes me think about is like when in your response to your son's anxiety, that parent child relationship being the vehicle mm-hmm. through which you're helping him regulate, mm-hmm. right? You're saying, I see it. Mm-hmm. There's a name for that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not mm-hmm. changing my affect when mm-hmm. you bring it up. I'm yeah. not getting anxious when you're getting when you're getting anxious. I'm not, you know, going away mm-hmm. when you're getting anxious. I'm just I'm this even present person that's the same whether you're anxious or not. Right. I can contain it for you. Mm-hmm. I can sit here in this space with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not making it go away. And I kind of think that's another thing that has to do with the, the food stuff, mm-hmm. right? The parent-child relationship being the vehicle by which we are helping our child develop a relationship to food, mm-hmm. right? Like if I can sit at a table with you while you eat your meal and I can sit and share food with you mm-hmm. and we can focus on all kinds of things including our five Mm -hmm. senses, Mm -hmm. but also just the day and not about every single bite you're eating. Mm -hmm. Like what, like, you know, Mm -hmm. not being, putting your child under a a microscope as they eat their meal. Yeah. Because they will feel that. They'll feel that judgment. Right. Um, So it's interesting because I, I have two, but my kids have both gone through very different like eating journeys. Like my, my, my second son who I was saying turned his head for the first two weeks. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so, it's devastating. Then by the age of like 18 months, two years old, he would walk over to me and eat like whatever, doesn't matter what was in my salad. He would open his, he would eat every fresh veggie and whatnot. And I was like, Oh my God, he's the most like adventurous eater. They both eat like sashimi. They're very, I always, I always say they, they're very expensive dates, dates when we take them to sushi. Cause they just want like all the raw <laughs> fish. Right. And it's so fun. But then they, he has gone through phases where then he's like, I don't want, you know, where he used to eat tomatoes raw out of the salad. Now I'm having to tell him like, okay, get the burger. You're putting the tomato, you know, on, on your burger. And it's because what I see happening to him is right now he's nine. He's going through this little phase of like starting to push some things away. Whereas I know that if he just keeps having them and he doesn't, get into too much of a rut of like, I don't eat that. Now I don't eat that. Now I don't. And then all of a sudden it's sort of the slippery slope. Right. So it's sort of that balance of, I'm not going to like, you know, make, make you finish your meal every time. Like that's, you know, the clean plate club is something that was in my generation growing up. That's certainly not a part of our family. Right. It's listen to your cues. In fact, my son last night helped me make dinner, sat down and he didn't touch a bite of it. And I'm like, okay, he's not hungry. And he's, he's, usually a kid that I, you know, have to be like, okay, now drink some water. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's a really healthy eater. Um, but you know, you know, it was like a beautifully plated meal and we all sat down together, the four of us. And he was like, mm, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, all right, like, that's good for you to listen to that. He's like, I really want the food. I'm like, I know it looks really good, but I think it's good for you to listen to your tummy right now. And it's saying, I'm not hungry. So I'm going to wrap that up and that'll be your lunch tomorrow. You know, but those, like I couldn't have sat through a meal growing up. Right. And just been like, I'm not eating, you know, they would have thought there's a thousand reasons why that was happening. And they were going to force me through the food that I, you know, 
didn't want it that yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of power in trusting your kids For sure. because they learn to trust themselves. That's right. And you know what? If he had come back and said 10 minutes later, you know what? I got that wrong. I am yeah. hungry. Can yeah. I eat that? I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go grab it. It's in yeah. the fridge. Yeah. You know, like it's not about like, well, we said no now. And so mm-hmm. we have to hold that. It's like, we're yeah. not doing like behavior modification training at dinner time with our kids. You know, That's we're right. just helping them be human beings who are sometimes hungry, sometimes not. I trust that you'll eat when you're hungry. I, you know, and we'll get there. Obviously this is very different from, I'm mindful of like, you know, if you have someone in your family who has an eating disorder mm-hmm. or who has a, even as a young child who has like sensory issues around food yes. or there's lots of complicated things. Even like I treat families who have kids who have OCD, mm-hmm. who a lot of things happen around mealtime that become really complicated. But half the time what I'm doing with those families is actually helping parents strip away some of the over accommodating mm-hmm. behaviors that mm-hmm. they have kind of gotten into. Like you're saying like, the, the the narrative that the child internalizes that, oh, this is something I can't possibly eat now. Mm-hmm. I don't eat this. Mm-hmm. That comes from a dance that you and your child do over time mm-hmm. that where you might inadvertently be reinforcing that that belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't eat this mm-hmm. because I, I don't challenge that mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is different than forcing your kid to eat something. Totally. Yeah, right. My, my uh, younger or older son definitely has a sensory, um, he, you know, in a, a lot of aspects of his life is kind of, um, highly sensitive. And I always joke that I'm like, see, I didn't give up on, cause he would not, he would not eat anything cold. Like he wouldn't eat a popsicle or ice cream for a while. And I remember like taking him to a doctor and he was, he was actually highly sensitive at doctor's appointments, like wouldn't step on this. Yeah. Like he, we would have appointments where he was clean to me and he wouldn't even have an exam done. Like she couldn't get the thing in his ear to like, you know, uh-huh. anyway. And I was like, it's okay. Like this time we're just going to walk in and we're going to grab the balloon and that's going to be this well check like that. And right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll yeah. on the scale with him, like whatever. Anyway. But I remember they'd be like, well, what would he like a popsicle? And I'm like, he doesn't know. And, uh, he, he wouldn't eat anything cold. And now when, when he eats ice cream and, and enjoys ice cream, I'm like, you see, I didn't give up on you liking ice cream and look what happened. You know, I kept introducing it and look at this, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it, you know, whether, no matter what it is, they can grow, they, they might have an aversion to a, to a texture, to, you know, um, temperatures and, and all different things, colors of food or, or whatnot, but continuing to reintroduce things, whether it's broccoli or ice cream, they can develop that, you know, enjoyment for it. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from how we, our own affect while we introduce it, right? Yeah. If you yeah. can be calm and confident and supportive um, and regulate your own, mm-hmm. you know, emotions in that, mo- in that moment, it's going to be a lot easier to do that kind of exposure work, mm-hmm. like reintroducing yeah. calmly and confidently over and over mm-hmm. and over again and being okay with their, how they receive it every mm-hmm. time. And then eventually, oops, they, they tasted yeah. it. Oh, wait, hold on. They swallowed it. Oh, hold on. Now they're asking for a second. It's like, it takes a long time, but when we're anxious, we infuse that whole meal with anxiety. Yeah. And they're learning to trust us that it's not going to turn into a fight every time. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they might be willing, a little bit more willing to enter the conversation if, <laughs> if they know it's not going to be some arm wrestling moment every single time. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Ah, I love this. I feel like one of the things that w- 
like I'm taking away from this conversation Mm -hmm. is like, don't give up right away. Like, you know, like, are there, are there some takeaways we can kind of give a, give to our listeners right now that just helps them feel a little bit more like they've got this? Yeah. I think, you know, um, definitely everything in balance and moderation is key, right? So this living by such strict rules is just setting yourself and your babe up for failure or for anxiety and stress. That's just undo, right? So give yourself some grace there. Um, I think the repeated exposure is so important. Don't give up on yourself or your child, even, you know, give it a week or two. If they hated avocado or asparagus or peaches or whatever, um, just give it some time and try again. Um, and I think that, you know, with, with everything, listen to your baby's cues, um, and understand that what worked for your friend or for your mom or for your sister might not work for you and your family and your baby. And I always reminded myself, like, you know, when you have your first little one, especially all you do, I feel like is look around at other kids. Like, Oh my God, your baby's walking. Mm-hmm. My, my baby's not walking. It's talking. How many words? Yep. Your baby has four yeah. words. You know, like my baby's made up its own language, you know, like, uh, they will learn to walk. They will learn to talk. They will learn to eat from a spoon. They, you know, they might take a different path. Um, they might do things at a completely different time, but they'll get there. And if you don't have so much anxiety about them failing because they haven't reached the milestone in the moment or like the foods in the moment that you hoped that they would, they'll understand that their journey is acceptable as well. Right. Um, and especially, you know, as, as they are are reading your cues and your stress and, you know, your excitement around mealtime or, or whatever it is, I think, you know, understanding that, that every baby is different, that this isn't some formulaic process being a parent and, 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 you know, growing as a, as a child, but, um, that I think your point so much about, you know, the, the energy that's, that's, that you share and the space you give them to feel good about their relationship with food and, and, um, and with you, right. Um, and that trust in you to be their partner in this as they grow, yeah. especially it's like, you know, my mom's got my back. My parents got my back. We, we got this, like this moment might be hard, but you know, no one's freaking out. It's going to be okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That communication of safety, right. Yeah. That's, that's a huge factor. I love all of those takeaways. I feel like I, I'm, I'm always overdue to remind myself of my own <laughs> rules. Oh, I'm like, sure. I should go back and revisit this because yeah. especially post Halloween, we've been having oh my a gosh. lot of candy <laughs> and I've been being very, trying to be very, um, not, you know, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> There's good food. Totally. I'm trying to make it very neutral, but yeah. it's hard because it's a lot of candy. I know. I know. We let our kids have one a day. Um, and although, you know, so Nolan didn't, you know, want his, his meal last night. And I was like, well, the only thing that wouldn't happen is that if he came back five seconds later, I was like, but can I have, you know, a lollipop? And I'd be like, yeah, no. So you can go have, if you're hungry, you can have a few bites of your meal, but I totally hear you. There's, there's room for indulgence in, in all of our lives. And it's about how you frame their relationship with food, but also give them that like playbook of we've introduced you to, an, you know, so many things that you know, when you go to a restaurant or when you start, you know, growing up and start having more of your own meal choices and, um, that you, you know, won't have this tiny little play box of, uh, you know, um, a few foods that you'll eat and like that you do have a bit more freedom to enjoy a lot of foods because you've been so exposed to them. They've been a part of your daily life and routine at home. 
Yep. Yeah. Yes. No, this is also so valuable. And thank you so much for coming on you're here and so sharing welcome. this with you. If people want to learn a little bit more about, about the work you're doing, about Square Baby, like where can they where can they connect? So our website squarebaby.com. Um, and in early 2022, right now we are we are waitlist as we um, expand our operations from a West Coast only to a national distribution. So um, check out our website, join our waitlist, and um, we will be I'm launching nationally in early 2022. Congratulations. Thanks. That's so exciting. <laughs> well, it's All a 13 right. year old dream, right? <laughs> We're getting there. You just keep trying, just right? Keep, just keep doing it. It's the exposure. Right? <laughs> just never give up. That's right. Just I love doing. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being here. And and we will we'll definitely be hearing more about Square Baby, I'm sure. So good luck. Yes. Thank you so much. I so appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and chat with you. I feel like I learned so much today too. Isn't that the best yeah. when like we both walk away from a conversation and be like, yes, I've got a takeaway here that I can go yeah. home and I think feel about. heard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. As we talked about in the episode, allowing our children to build a healthy relationship to food can take some resilience on our part. But here's the good news. Resilience is a muscle. The more we work at it, the stronger it gets. And that's true for our kids too. If you want to help your child to build their resilience muscle, check out my free guide, Fostering Resilience from Birth. It's important to focus on the things we have control over. So that's why this guide gives you behavior modifications you can make yourself as the parent. I'll give you actual phrases you can swap out and, of course, explain the why behind them. That way you aren't just reading off a script, but instead you're learning the psychology behind these shifts so you can adapt them to fit any situation that might arise. If you want to understand the building blocks of resilience so you can help your child to tolerate distress, develop a growth mindset, and increase self-esteem, check out this free guide. Go to my website, drsarahbren.com. That's D-R-S-A-R-A-H-B-R-E-N.com and click on the resources tab to download. Thanks for listening and don't be a stranger. 